All right. Well, it is great to see all of you who are here tonight. Good to see those of you who are watching live stream or through delayed video. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the third week of Alpha, and we are grateful to see you here tonight. Anybody here for the first time? The very first time here tonight? Anybody? Oh, that's right. Well, welcome. It's good to have you here. Yeah, sure. Let's thank her for her bravery. Um, well, this is, as I said, week three of Alpha, and uh, as we have discussed in our previous two sessions, um, you know, a major aspect and purchase of Alpha, purpose of Alpha, is is really to get us to start really thinking about the things that are going to last a long time, things that will last beyond our last heartbeat, but affect where we are even today. And if we do believe, as most of uh, us have agreed when I asked you the question to believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever. It seems like if we spend so much time trying to figure out what makes meaning of life now, of life now knowing as short as it is, wouldn't it make sense to just be able to do some critical thinking about, is there a God? Is there meaning and purpose in this life and in the next? And C.S. Lewis was one who argued that if we, if we get the line right, if we know that, if we can know what's on the other side of our last heartbeat and know that by faith, of course, with confidence, that could very well change and often does change the way in which we think about t time and space in the here and now. So, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about not just what we believe, but why do we believe what we believe. And, uh, Again, the challenge is most of us just, we haven't stopped long enough to actually begin to think about, why do I believe what I believe? Why should I believe what I believe? And so even if you leave here at the end of eight weeks, or maybe tonight's going to be it, you can't take it anymore, uh, the dinner's going to be takeout, um, at least hopefully we'll, we'll understand together what is in the Bible and what is not in the Bible, what the Bible does say and what the Bible does not at all say. And as I said, the problem, in, uh, problem is this, we just allow ourselves to be so busy, we just don't take time to think about things that we believe are going to last forever. And we just have a tendency of assuming or, or judging too quickly. And I wanted to share with you just a couple of videos to kind of drive home the point that judging too quickly could bring us to the wrong conclusion. Judging too quickly could make us... Stop thinking because we only believe what we've experienced. And so here's some videos that will show us it's not a good idea to judge too quickly. Don't judge too quickly. Look at the cute dog. Ooh. 
Patient has a fractured fibula. Given well, Saturday. So he can be able to go on tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. All right, so hopefully the reason you're here is you're not judging too quickly. And uh, we are taking some time to think about not just what we believe, but why do we believe? And I think it's a, qu a fair question to ask ourselves. Have we assumed things about Jesus and the Bible without really critically examining them? That, I think that's the question. Have we just left our brain at the door just believing what we've always believed and, and that's been it? Well, if, if, I, Alpha's about challenging ourselves as to what is my belief system? Why do I believe what I believe? And why don't I believe what I don't believe? So, um, you know, simply assuming things about God begins to beg this question. And I think th this, this question should really challenge us and help us along the way. And here's the thing. Is my faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me based on my definition of who God is or God's definition of who he is. See, there's lots of faith positions all over the world. People have faith positions about this or that or the other thing religiously. The question is, if there is a God, what does he say about himself? Can what I believe about him change God or morph God to be, to be what I want him to be? That wouldn't be much of a God. Actually, that wouldn't be God at all. And so, again, this is a, here's a question for us to ask ourselves. Is my faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me based on what I believe about him or his definition of who he is? And my, my issue was this. I really hadn't thought. I just, personally, I just assumed. I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. And growing up, I, I basically grew up within a, you know, a, a traditional Italian New Orleans upbringing. My theology, and everybody knows what theology is, right? It's a study of God. But my theology was more me-ology, right? It, it basically, I basically believed and constructed a God that suited me. I basically made God in my own image, right? Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26, is recorded that God said, let us make man in our own image. Well, in, in the gospel of Frank, chapter 1, verse 26, Frank says, let me make God in my own image. And so I make a God that's manageable to me. And my God, basically, I, I, I guess I, my God was the BVM. Okay, now I don't know if you, maybe you don't know that you worship the BVM, but if you, if you have a particular type of faith as I, you worship the BVM. And this is, this is the BVM right here. The blessed vending machine. The heavenly vending machine. And, and the way in which I, I, I worship the BVM was by accruing my good works, which became the currency, whereby I would use that currency to complunk into the blessed vending machine what I wanted and what I didn't want. So my good works were my currency. The, you know, my heavenly vending machine was what gave me what I wanted. You know, if I want C14, I don't expect A8 to come out, 
right? Or else God's just not doing his job. Because my currency, my works, determine what God does and what he doesn't. My good works were my, basically, my celestial bank account, which made God my celestial butler, because he has to give me what I have earned and what I deserve because of what I did that I should have done as a good boy and didn't do what I shouldn't have done because I wasn't that bad of a boy. And so I had my, my own meology, and maybe you have your own urology. No. And maybe you have your own meology as well. Now, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but you see, my good works pay God's salary. Now, think about that. Think about you the way you and I think about God and this thought of a blessing. And none of us think that's nonsense. But if you and I really begin to think about this, we kind of have this thought of God being a quid pro quo kind of God. Hey, God, I did this. So I've paid for you to do that. Um, so it's God's job to respond to me. So when I basically began to think about what I believed, that's really what I believed. I wouldn't have ever said it that way. But when you boiled it all down, I basically controlled God in my own mind based on what I thought was good enough for him to give me what I wanted and not give me what I didn't want. And so that really brings us to the topic this evening. Why did Jesus die? Well, according to the Bible, the answer that you and I give to that question, if the Bible is the truth, there is no other question that you and I need to get right but this one. This is the, the answer we give to this question is the most important answer that you and I will ever give. If true, our lives in the dash and in the, on the other side of our last heartbeat totally depend on our faith position concerning how we answer this question. C.S. Lewis, remember I told you guys, atheist became, became ardent follower of Christ. He said this, it's so important. Christianity of false is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important, right? If it's false, it's not important at all. Actually, the importance about Christianity of false is getting rid of it. Do you understand that? Its founder is a liar. He's still dead in the grave. So if false, it has no importance other than to make sure it's, it's uh, excavated and removed from the scene. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. It can't be a, huh, when's this over? That, that's, that's not the God of the Bible. Jesus' claims are just too powerful and too important for you and me to just think there, eh, I can take it or leave it. And, and that's basically, as I create God in my own image, what happens? Does God get bigger when I create him in my own image? Or does he get smaller when I create him in my own image? I heard that. Smaller. He gets much smaller if he's going to be made in my own image. And he is a vast God. And this is what brought John Stott, tremendous uh, Christian author and uh, scholar, speaker to write this in his book, The Cross of Christ. He said, the reason, this would be me, the reason why Frank gives the wrong answers, the reason why many people give the wrong answers to questions about the cross, in other words, why did Jesus die, and even ask the wrong questions, 
is that they have carefully considered neither the seriousness of sin nor the majesty of God. I just don't think my sins, okay, my selfish activities are that big of a deal. Now, yours, on the other hand, are a big deal. But not mine. So what do I do? I, minim I, I, I minimize the seriousness of sin. And then I also minimize that this is just, this little God, it's just no big deal to him. See, so I just try to basically, if I can make a framework of God to my liking, he's just really not this infinite, almighty, all creative God. He's just kind of a superman. He's just a little bit more accomplished, evolved than, than I. And that is so contrary. I didn't know this because I didn't know what the Bible said. It's just so contrary to what the Bible says. So, so here's the question for you and me tonight. And, why, and the question, why did Jesus die, is so important. Have you, as I did, not carefully considered the seriousness of your sin, of my sin, nor have I considered how big is this God? How majestic is this God? Infinitely majestic if what the Bible tells us is true. But as I said, I'd never given any serious consideration to that because I had no clue that the Bible contradicted what I believed. Because I had no idea, no clue of what the Bible actually said. So let's do this. Let's just take a couple minutes tonight to see what the Bible says. Because remember what I told you, we're talking about the Bible's claims here, not my claims. I do not believe a word I'm telling you if it cannot be backed up by what Scripture says. And I'm not telling you that you're going to even necessarily believe the Scripture. But at least, again, you and I are going to know what it says. So here's the problem. This is on page uh, 20 of your book, I believe. The problem is this. God is holy. God is always holy. He is never not holy. He is perfect. He is righteous in all of his ways, all of the time. There is not a moment, a nanosecond, when God has ever been wrong. He is always holy, perfect. The God of the Bible says that you and I have, we've fallen short of his standard of holiness which separates us from him and this is so let's just look at what the apostle paul had to say here he said all here's what paul wrote all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god now when he says all have sinned he means all that means every one of us in this room and we know that don't we anybody here been perfect their entire lives never made a mistake never said the wrong thing never thought the wrong thought of course not. We've all proven that. All of us have sinned. Now, again, I don't mind the all thing. But what I really don't like is when it gets personal. I don't like the personal aspect of this. Okay? So, when I, when I suddenly hear, Frank has sinned. Okay. We're getting a little personal now, aren't we? Okay? Or, John, you have sinned. Okay? Mike, you have sinned. Uh, Rachel, you have sinned, and as a result, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what is sin? Uh, you've lied, you've stolen, you've gossiped, you've dishonored your parents, 
All of those things. You and I have done. And as a result of that, we are not acceptable to God. To fall short of the glory of God is to fall short of his holiness and his acceptable standard. So that's a challenge. Now, so here's the thing. God's, so what score on the test does God accept? Well, according to the Bible, God grades down to 100%. 100% of the time. Because if he's holy, 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 are we going to ask God now? God, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most of the people. I'm better than all of the people in this room. I'm basically asking God to compromise who he is based on what I think he is and who I think he is so that in my own mind, I hope he accepts me. Do you, do you, do you see here that there's... There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. So not only does the Bible say that you and I have sinned and as a result are unacceptable to God, it says this. There is none righteous, not even one. Okay. So all have sinned, none is righteous. Now let's just deal with this word righteous for a minute. What does the word righteous mean? It's basically a legal judicial term. It basically means there is none not guilty. In other words, all are guilty. All. And so before God, because you and I have sinned, we have a lot of evidence for that. And therefore separated from God, as we talked about last week, we also see that there is none that is not, that are not, there is none that is not guilty. Okay, how do you feel about that right now? Yeah, not good. Thank you. Okay. So now I promise you, I'm going to turn the corner on this. Okay. So don't, don't anybody get too depressed at this moment, but do you see that this is what the scripture says? It's pretty clear. Every one of us in and of ourselves is unacceptable to a holy God. So, so why did Jesus die? I had no idea why Jesus died. I had something to do with me. I wasn't quite sure what it was, but something fit in here somewhere. So biblical righteousness, as I said, is a legal judicial term for not guilty. Whereas meological righteousness requires a, a record of performance, a validating performance record. Tim Keller coined that where I have to earn my way out of, if you will, God's, God's uh, bad house. Where I have to basically try to do enough good works to where God will accept me. Certainly believe that he's there, but it's also incumbent upon me to be good enough to try to pull myself up to that which is acceptable to him. So there's biblical righteousness where God gives me what I cannot give myself and does for me what I cannot do for myself. And then there's validating performance record righteousness where my performance record, I hope, validates me before a kind of sort of holy God sometime. That's not what the scripture says. And many assert and believe that the way we are accepted by God is through keeping the Ten Commandments. So if you'd ask me, Frank, how do you get to go to heaven? Well, keep the Ten Commandments. If you ask most people that, you say, how do you get to go to heaven? Keep the Ten Commandments. Well, let me ask you a question here. How many of you in this room have kept all the Ten Commandments? Never broken one of them? You're being shy. Come on, really. Okay. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Just, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that's a problem right there. I don't even know what's... What's wrong? Um, 
But, you know, in a, in a survey taken several years ago, it's about a thousand, just over a thousand people. Um, 14%, I thought this was amazing, 14% knew the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know if they went to a church and asked the question or where, but that's about 140 people out of the thousand number. Uh, but here's the other thing. 80% of the people knew two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun, which means... The vast, this is so cute, please laugh. The vast majority know less about getting through the pearly gates than getting through the golden arches. All right, thank you. I had a laugh track set up for that, which I don't need. That was, that was pretty good. But I mean, you think about that. The Ten Commandments, we say the Ten Commandments. I mean, we just say that, we just blurt it out. We don't even know what the Ten Commandments are. Why? Because we don't think. We don't think. Some of us don't think we're supposed to think. We think somebody else's, some other person that knows more about the Bible than we do is supposed to think for me. That is so contrary to what the Bible tells me. In, 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 the, in the first chapter of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, written some 600 plus years before Christ was even born, Isaiah writes prophesying where God says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So God is calling each and every one of us to reason together with him. So here's the question. How good do you think you are? Now, I'm not going to ask you right now to give us maybe at your table tonight, maybe you can get this question on a scale of one to 10. How good do you think you are? Um, but how good do you think you are? Really? Now, some of you may, think, may, may be saying, I don't think I'm good at all. Okay, well, how bad do you think you are? Okay, well, let me just tell you. You're worse than you think you are. Okay. You really, it, it, it's, let, let me just prove it to you. Imagine if you could have a thought monitor propped up on, uh, above your head, okay? And there's just a little USB port stuck in the back of your head. And, and what happen is, happens is all of your thoughts get projected, on the screen okay and so everybody gets to see what you're thinking at all times okay all right so uh, how many people working remotely now okay so how many people are working remotely now lots of people so the boss calls in right hey um, I hadn't seen much work come out of you lately you know finally you get together with the boss and so Oh, man, I've just been so busy. I mean, I've just been trying to get things done. But here's that old thought monitor and you're painting the walls in your new bedroom and you're mowing the grass and you're doing all this stuff. And that's great. And then here's a difficult one. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, your, your, your wives have just bought a new dress. Um, and uh, they want to try it on for you. And uh, so they go and try it on. It takes a little long for them to try it on, but they try the dress on and, and, they, and then they come around and say, uh, well, sweetheart, what do you think? Do you think this dress makes my rear end look big? <laughs> oh, no, sweetheart. <laughs> you look great. But on the monitor is a sausage factory where they're just <laughs> cramming the lining. Um, and so... We're, 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 we're worse than we think we are. Now, imagine if everyone had a thought monitor. I mean, 
the human race would be extinct by now, don't you think? It'd just be, it's bad enough as it is, but, um, so, but I had no idea that God, this holy God, was so scrutinizing. He was just that holy and just that aware of you and me and intentionally wanted to be not to condemn us but to reveal to us why he had to die so here's a couple more problems and then we'll get to the good part but um so you see here that some problems issues are one is the pollution of sin jesus said that sin comes from within here's what the what Mark records Jesus is saying. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from where? From within. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame anybody. Jesus says that we're born with this condition Remember, all have sinned. You have sinned. And these are, the, these are from outside of our heart, from the inside of us, comes the, if you will, the manufacturing of those things on the outside of us. What's on the inside of us is often proved by what comes out of us. That's what Jesus is clearly saying. He says, and they come from within and defile a person make that person unacceptable to god made me unacceptable to god made me unholy before a holy god so we have the pollution of sin we have the penalty of sin this is paul writing to the romans he said for the wages of sin is death now what are wages wages are something you earn okay so the wages of sin of sinning is death and remember now we talked about death being not annihilation but separation Okay, so for the wages of sin is separation from God. And then so the pollution, the penalty, and then the partition of sin. Again, here's Isaiah. We talked about Isaiah a moment ago, some 600 plus years before Jesus. He writes here, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, cannot rescue. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities your sins your selfishness you're wanting what you want when you want it frank and the heck with everybody else have made a separation between you and your god that's what death does it separates us and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you okay so here's the thing the bible says maybe it's not true but if it is true my sins me mine that come from within have made a separation between a me and a holy god drink that in for a second there's a separation that separation though is because of my sin and the death so there is a chasm basically the bible is telling me between god and me now the chasm of separation is not like I am here and God is a billion light years away over there. The chasm is this, simply. Life, death. How much, is a how much of a chasm is there between life and death? 
Can you communicate with death? We can't. There can't be, whether a dead person is a billion miles away or right next to you, the separation is just as severe, isn't it? Of course it is. So so we, we have, you and I have, we've got a line problem. We, we have a line problem. And basically all religions of validating performance record try to deal with this chasm of separation. And the way they try to deal with the chasm of separation is really one way. Now, I promise you a comparative religion uh, course in five minutes, and I'm about to give it to you. All right? So here's the world religions on this side. Here's biblical Christianity on this side. Now, the religions of the world basically talk about the fact that it's, it's man's... We, are, we, we get to God, we reach God based on our own efforts. Certainly faith in our God plus our own works. And so you'll see here that some, some of us, are, the arrows represent some of us maybe being better than others. But the fact of the matter is none reach that standard of holiness. It doesn't happen. And what religions would those be? Those are that's every religion of the world, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism or Buddhism, or that ever-increasing faith called whatever. Um, so it just doesn't matter, right? It just doesn't matter what you believe. But every one of these religions is based upon, it's up to me. So whether it's to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the Muslim, it's the five pillars of faith, or the Buddhist, the eightfold path of enlightenment, or keeping the commandments, whatever it may be, it's incumbent upon me to hopefully be good enough or die on a good day, whatever, to where God will have to accept me. You could have put, that, that would have been me. I believe that there was a God. I didn't quite understand any more than that. And I was just going to try to be my best. That's what I believe. And I think that's what most of us believed. And maybe because like you guys didn't raise your hand in week one, it's because we don't know what the Bible says about this. I didn't know what the Bible said about this. And so this would be every religion of the world. Not almost all. Every religion of the world teaches this. That have faith in whoever you got, your God is and you better keep all the rules. Nobody keeps all the rules. But what about biblical Christianity? Biblical Christianity says God knows that you and I have no capacity in and of ourselves to be acceptable to him because we're dead. We're separated from him because of our sin and our death. And so God does for us the exact opposite by giving his son to come and die for us to pay the penalty of our iniquities and sins and therefore fording that chasm between us by his own doing, and that being accounted to us, should we believe that? Well, let me just give you a couple of scriptures around this. So again, you see this, all of religion, have faith in whoever your God is, and do your best. But it will never be good enough. And you know that internally, that it's not good enough. But what the Bible says is, God knows we're not good enough. He knows we can't do it ourselves. And so he does for us what in a million lifetimes, a million reincarnations, we never could do. And takes and pays for 
the penalty that we deserved. Here's what Peter writes in his first letter. Now, this Peter writes to those who have believed, who have, have believed this message. And this is what he writes. He says, and he himself, of course, Christ, bore our sins, carried our sins in his body on the cross that we might die. Now, catch this. Die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, by his wounds, you were healed. Now, okay, so what does this mean? Now, here's the interesting thing that Peter writes here, that we might die to sin. Now, we are dead to God because we're in our sins. But Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross so that in believing in him, we might be separated from sin, from death, and live to righteousness, be made alive to God who is righteous. All right? So it basically works like this. If you will, I've got a couple of plugs here. Here's death, uh, and here's the life plug. And I just, so if you will, just... Um, so every one of us has a spiritual umbilical cord. Um, and uh, I need to be able to get this off. Um, so anyway, this spiritual umbilical cord is when I'm born. You didn't know you had one of these? Um, just check around tonight when you get home. Um, so it's plugged into death. So you and I, though we're born physically alive, we are, and the, the, obviously the, um, the umbilical cord gets cut, right? But we still have a spiritual how dumb does this really look? Can you see? Um, every one of us has a spiritual umbilical cord that is plugged into death. So the issue is not how good you are or how bad you are. Now, hear this now, because I know for all of us were kind of plugged into good works. Okay, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do my best. Okay, so if you're dead, separated from God... Does it matter how good you try to be if you're dead? Dead is dead. God doesn't see dead. He doesn't recognize dead. So, that we might die to sin, okay? Might die to sin, be separated from sin, and what? Live to righteousness. So we get a new life is what he's saying. The issue is not, Frank, your relative goodness, or your own spirituality if you're still plugged into death. The issue is you don't have life. You need life. You don't need a better you. You need God to give you what you can't give yourself, Frank Loria. You need life. So, so do we see here that this spiritual umbilical cord has got us born physically alive, spiritually dead, we need spiritual life. So Jesus comes and says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, or no man comes to the Father but through my life. Your salvation, your standing before me. If what the Bible says is true, is not predicated upon your and my relative goodness, but based upon receiving a life that we cannot have and do not have apart from Christ, bearing our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to death and live to righteousness. 
for by his wounds. Okay, does it say anything else? For by his wounds and by your good works. Or for by his wounds and you doing the best you can. I'd, I'd be adding to scripture if I did that. By his wounds, I am healed. And I may need to be healed to get this thing off of me. But um, anyway, so I, I think the picture that we see here, <laughs> they really taped me up good. Excuse me for a moment. Uh, don't want to get uh, taken off of YouTube here. For all right, all right, all right. Calm down. Okay. So, uh, is that everything? Okay. Um, so do you see that? We're plugged into death by virtue of being born physically. And this is why Jesus, we'll talk about this more next week. This is why Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he'll not see the kingdom of heaven. See, he's saying the life you have physically is dead life. Even though you're aware to me, I'm going to give you my life. That's the issue. So, so when you see the comparative religion model, again, do you start seeing now what this is all about? This is about life. It's not about doing or not doing. This is about life. And then Peter goes on to say this. For Christ died for sins once. Do you see this? I love this. Christ died for sins once for all. Jesus is never getting back up on the cross again, if what Peter says is true. He died for sins once for all. When Jesus hangs there, right before he dies, he says, it is finished. Okay, he meant it is finished. Every sin that would ever be committed, he took upon himself. All of our death, he took upon himself so that all that would be needed is whether or not you would I believe that or we would reject that. If Christ, for Christ died for sins once for all. Now watch this. The righteous, that would be God, Christ. For the unrighteous, that would be us. Why did he do that? This is so cool. He did that to bring you, Frank Loria, to God. Not just to forgive you and just wipe the slate clean. Now say, get out of here, you bother me. It's not just the forgiveness of all of our sins based on Christ paying the penalty. We become not just not totally forgiven, we become totally accepted. Not just forgiven with a, sl a slate wiped clean, God now accepts you and me based on what his son did. Because we now got his life. That makes us acceptable to him, righteous before him. So we see here the, the intimacy of this. He died to bring us to God. Welcomed. Wanted. And, and by the way, who's bringing you to God? For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. Do you see that? Do you see the love here? Do you see the intimacy here? Do you see the work here? For Christ brings you and me to God with what his life his life and so the apostle Paul made a big deal of this because within Judea Judaism 
you know, and, and thinking of keeping the commandments and doing everything you're supposed to do and keeping all the traditions. He thought that, com that would commend him to God. But when Paul saw that that was not true, he, he, he gave up everything to bring this message of the gift of God. And so th this scripture meant so much to me when I see it. It still does to this day. Look at this. This is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. The church at Galatia had some problems because they were believing, yes, believe in Jesus, but you've got to still keep all the rules. And Paul was having a fit with that. And so Paul says to them, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, did you hear that? So let's just define terms. I don't treat the grace of God. What is grace? Okay, it's, it's more than something you say before meals. Okay, grace is unmerited favor. It's, re it's, it's receiving what you do not deserve. It's a gift. For by gr it, I don't treat the grace of God as having no meaning. He's saying just the opposite. I'm saying the grace of God has all meaning. He said, but if keeping the law could make me right with God, if by doing good works I could be right with God, then Jesus didn't have to die. Think about that. I never thought about that. I never gave it a second of a thought. Jesus could have just come down, given a great pep talk, you know, been a life coach for a few people so that other people could be life coaches, patted us all on the butt, and then headed back to heaven. There's no reason for Jesus to die if I could be good enough. Easter would be totally unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. I wrote this here, and I, if you can follow me here, it says, Jesus did not come to simply be an example impossible to emulate. Who wants that kind of example? He came to be our Savior. Validating performance record religion gives us rules and laws for us to attempt to improve our self-determining meology. But validating performance record religion does not give us a savior to receive. Hear this. Because in VPR, religion, we don't need to be saved. We just need to be improved. Think about that. If your or my record in my mind validates me before God, I don't need a savior. You know why? I'm my savior. I may need a little boost, but I just need help. I don't need a savior. But this was my quid pro quo religion. And this is, again, maybe Christianity is nonsense. Maybe it's not true. But every religion of the world wants every one of its adherents has to perform to be validated. The Bible says Christ performed so that you and I could be validated because we don't have it in us. What do I have in me? This is what I got in me. What do I need in me? And I'll never have this in me by my own doing. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his son to give us life. 
So the question is, in validating performance record, we don't, religion, we don't need to be saved. We just need to be improved. The question should be, well, how improved? How good? How good is good enough? That's the question. So let's just look at this in our mind. Let's just kind of look at the, the, the attributes of God for a moment and just take a little bit more of a look at who the Bible declares God is. So let's just look at his attributes or his character. The Bible says, and we're just going to be a few of them here. There's more, but this is enough. The Bible says that God is love. Right? And we like that, that God is love. You've heard that. You've seen the bumper stickers. You've heard people say it. God is love. God is holy. He's completely perfect. Okay? God is merciful. Okay, I li- so far I like the love and mercy thing. I'm not sure about the holy thing. Okay? Um, he's all wisdom. The Bible declares that God has all wisdom. That he has all knowledge. Okay? He's love. He's holiness. He's mercy. He's wisdom. He's knowledge. He's patient. Aren't you glad? Uh, don't you hope that one's true? He's patient. Now, this last one is the one I have problems with. He is justice. Now, the thing about justice is the Bible declares that God is just. How are you just and at the same time merciful? See, the the issue that that God may have is that how can he be 100% of these things all the time? How can you be merciful if justice demands the wages of sin is death. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say we are in uh, a Louisiana courtroom, all right? And um, let's just say, Clay, you're the judge, okay? You're going to law school, aren't you? No. Okay, so, um, so, so Clay is, I'll just make you the judge here, Clay, and... Uh, you and I are very good friends, okay? And it's a Louisiana courtroom, so it doesn't matter that you and I are very good friends. <laughs> I have to look over at the judge over here to make sure he's... Um, so here's the deal. I was going through a, a school zone at 50 miles an hour, okay? <laughs> Charlotte's just going, what is wrong with you? Um, the penalty is $10,000, okay? Um, and it should be. Um, and I end up in your court. And so my case is called up and Clay says to me, uh, uh, how do you plead? I said, well, um, your honor, I, I, was, I was late for a job interview. I, I, I just didn't know where I was thinking about the interview. I am so sorry that I just, I, I just I forgot where I was. I, I, I'm really sorry. And so Clay says, uh, approach the bench. He says, Frank, what are you thinking? You're going, you're going that fast in a school zone. What are you thinking about? He says, look, I, I'm going to let you go this time. But if I see you in my court again, I'm going to have to throw the book at you. So how am I feeling about that? How are the parents of those kids feeling about that? Yeah. So how did mercy do? How did justice do? I know it's Louisiana, but how did justice do? (laughs) Not too right, right? Justice was compromised for mercy. Okay, well, let's just go back into the courtroom for a moment. Um, 
Frank, um, doesn't matter. You're guilty. Pay the bailiff. How justice do? Mercy's out the window and my friendship with that creep. Okay? Uh, but because Clay loves me so much, he comes from behind the bench. He takes off his judicial robes. He pulls out his phone. It used to be a checkbook. It's a Venmo account now. And, um, and he gives the bailiff $10,000. Or he writes the check, if you prefer, for $10,000. Was justice satisfied? Was mercy extended? See, now, I can say to Clay, I don't want your money. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to somehow work my way out of this. Well, Frank, you're going to have a heck of a time in jail coming up with $10,000. Now, here's the, great, here's the great news here. Is that Paul writes this to the Romans again. This is good. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We talked about that earlier. But this is what he talks about to those who believe in Christ. And are justified. In other words, just as if the wrongdoing had never taken place. And are justified how? As a what? A gift. By his grace. By his grace. There's that unmerited favor through the redemption, the buying back. Right? That's what redemption means. To buy back, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, next week, please come back, because this, this two-letter word is going to make up the most of our evening, and you're going to see this so, it's going to be so interesting, okay, which is in Christ Jesus. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be, what? look at this, just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See? He, he extends mercy without compromising his justice and extends his justice without compromising his mercy. He does it all. Now, we looked at this just a minute ago as well. For the wages of sin is death. Now, here's how the scripture completes itself. But... The free gift of God. The, what kind of gift? I mean, is the free gift of God is eternal life for those who are, there's that two-letter word again, in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin, death. The gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much do you pay for a gift? If you're the receiver of the gift, it wouldn't be a gift, would it? If I had to do anything to receive a gift from you, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be something I would have to earn. Well, let's say, for example, I wanted to give this to you. Artist, I want to give this to you, okay? Now, I don't really want to give this to you. But um, let's just pretend I want to give this to you, okay? And I have done everything in my power, all I had to do, could do, to procure this gift for you so that you will live. Because without this gift, you will die all right and i want to give this to you as a gift how much good is it doing you in my hand 
When does it do you good? Okay. Would you like to have it? It's right here. No shipping and handling. Would you like to have it? So it's going to do you when? Good when? Okay, now. Do you believe you need it? Okay, so that's the thing. I, I know that I have a need, and I know that Frank has fulfilled the need that I couldn't fulfill for myself. All right? So here you go. You have to get up, because I have to stay in front of the camera. Okay. So, so, so anyway... See, so he can say he believes, he can act like he believes, but he could his whole life say that, act like that, and never receive. Now, is it humbling for artists to receive? Does he have to acknowledge he has a need that he can't fulfill himself to receive it? He sure does. Or he said, I don't need your stinking gift, I'll do this myself. See, there's a scripture that says, to as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, they receive him because they believe in his name, to them he gave the privilege, the right, the power to become a child of God. A child not born of human wisdom or the decision of the flesh, but born of God. Okay, you can sit down there. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, great job. Um, okay, so, so do, we, do we see this here, that God extends a gift to us? Jesus had to die so that we wouldn't. He came to give us life that he has that we don't and can't have without him. So when, we, so when we respond, as artists did, we receive. We receive the remedy. The remedy is this. The pollution of sin is removed. The power of sin is death, and it is broken. And the penalty of sin is paid with the life of Christ that he gives us. And so as we looked at this in the first, scripture, uh, first week that we had together... This scripture from John 3.16. Again, check this. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. His only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, should not remain in death, but have eternal life. Life that you and I can't have it. So he comes to give us his life, his perfect life. He doesn't come to give us a thing, which is eternal life. Who's eternal? Well, if what the Bible says is true, God is eternal. So when he comes to give us life, he comes to give us a holy life that's acceptable to him. Now, again, I don't want us to, to end the evening with this just being a, a generalization. I want you to, if you would, put your name in the blank. For God so loved that he gave his only son that if believe in him, you would not perish, but have eternal life. We don't need to be improved. Dead people can't be any more dead than they are. We need the life that only God can give us. God wants to exchange our validating performance record for Christ's validating performance record. Will we humble ourselves to realize 
our validating performance record may validate us horizontally before a whole lot of people, but it will never validate us before God. That's what the scripture says. So what do I do about that? What do I do with what you've said tonight? Well, um, I think at every one of your tables, there's a, there's a card. I think your table host may have that card. Now, the night that I said, okay, I believe, God, you love me, and you gave your son to me, and, and I, I, I want him. I realize I'm separated from you. I want your life. And so that night, I just prayed a prayer. Now, what, what is in these cards that have just been passed on to you? There's, these are not magical words, but maybe they express your heart tonight. Possibly they express your heart. And so I, I just want to read, this, read through this with you here. And this would be basically, this could be a basic prayer. Like I said, these are words. But it says this, God, I know that I've been a meologist trying to improve and save myself on my own terms, not yours. I realize now that I need you and want you to be my savior. I cannot save myself. By faith, I humbly receive your gift of eternal life. I believe you are the son of God who died on the cross in payment for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day to give me new life. Thank you for coming to earth to save me. Thank you for bearing and forgiving my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord and Savior now and forever. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, I believe you are Lord, right? And you believe in your heart. You say it because you believe in your heart. God has raised Christ from the dead. The Bible says you shall be, the word is saved there. Saved from what? Saved from death, eternal death, into eternal life. That's the word the words that are used there. He comes to give us what we don't have and what we can't give ourselves, life. And these words here from your heart are just their words. You could simply say, God, I believe. My whole life, I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been going to church and I've been trying to be a good boy. I've been trying to be a good girl. And yet there's still this frustration and sense of missing. It's because I've been trying to fill my life up with more of me, with a better version of me, even religiously. But I didn't know I could only fill it with you. I need your life to fill me. And tonight, I reject my validating performance record. And I receive your record of performance, Jesus, which is the only one that validates me before a holy God. Okay, next week, section, session four. Okay, if you don't come back at all, please bring everybody you know to session four. I'll give you a dollar for every new guest. Two dollars. You don't want to miss next week. Let me tell you why. The question is this. Can I be sure of what I believe? Can I be certain of my relationship with God? Can I? The Bible says, yes, you can. And I had no idea of that. So...
Please don't miss this. We have another gift for you tonight at your table. There's a book by uh, many books Lee Strobel wrote. Lee Strobel was a, was, uh, has a master's in legal studies, I think, from Yale. Uh, Lee Strobel did not believe in the Bible or Christianity at all. He became the chief legal editor at the Chicago Tribune and set out to prove Christianity wrong. And he's written many books from that journalistic, that investigative journalistic perspective. And he's written many case books, the case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for Christmas. This is the case for Easter and the evidence is for the resurrection. So we have that book for you tonight. We'd love for you to take a copy of that and enjoy it. So I've gone a little long. I apologize for that. Uh, the lights are going to flash on us at about 20 till. So let's grab some coffee or head to the restroom and hurry back to our table. So thank you so much for being here. Sure hope to see you next week.